0: Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. I'd been wrestling all week long. I've been praying and seeking the Lord as to what he would have for us to, to have tonight. And even as I'm sitting on the platform, I didn't know, but but I believe this is the passage to go to. If it's not, then in 45 minutes we'll go to the other one. I was thinking, no, I'm just kidding. Uh but I believe this is the one, Matthew chapter 13, and we'll begin in verse 53. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 53. And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed thence. And when he was come into his own country, he taught them in their synagogue, insomuch that they were astonished and said, "Whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works?" Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary, and his brethren James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters? Are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? And they were offended in him. That just that astonishes me. How can you be offended in Christ? the one that loves you more, the one that knows you more. They were offended at him. But Jesus said unto them, a prophet is not without honor save in his own country and in his own house. And he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Thank you. You may be seated. As we enter into this passage, we find Jesus having just finished preaching in the Sea of Galilee about the parables of the sower. He is now entering into his hometown, his earthly hometown of Nazareth. People know him. He knows these people. They, they know his family, as it says there in the, the passage. And he's, they're gathered together on a Saturday, on the Sabbath, and they go into the temple. And at this uh, temple, there's going to be a visiting speaker. They've heard him before. And Jesus Christ walks in. Can you imagine hearing him, the preacher, that day? And as he preaches in verse 54, it says they were astonished at his words. They were astonished at what they had heard. When's the last time you were astonished by the word of God? I think about the two on the Emmaus Road and how they were walking with the resurrected Christ. And Christ began to open up to them the scriptures And as uh, they get to Emmaus and they are eating there and they break the bread and and then all of a sudden they they see those nail prints in his hands and and he vanishes. And they realize that it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And they made this statement, did not our hearts burn within us while he opened to us the scriptures and spake to us on the way? Oh, when's the last time you had a burning heart for the word of God? Now I grew up in a Christian home. I went to Christian school all my life. Went to Bible college. I surrendered to be an evangelist when I was 15 years old. I've been around Christians all of my life. And and I got saved when I was five, but there's a a tendency that all of us can have is that we can treat this this script, the Word of God with disdain. We can treat it half-heartedly. When's the last time your heart burned by what you read in the scriptures? that you even amen just a verse. Not just a point of the, the pastor's preaching, but just a verse. Years ago, we were having our missions conference at my home church, and there was a man in our church that had recently gotten saved. And I remember he came and visited our church. His name was John, and John was very backward, and he uh, didn't make sense. His mind was all messed up in drugs before and alcohol. And God uh, did a 180 in his life. But I remember when John came, I, I just, I didn't have the patience with him. It took a while for him to get through sentences. He stuttered all over himself. And as he was being discipled, he got saved. As he was being discipled, it was amazing the change in John's life. Not just uh, just other things, but, but even his speech began to become normal. And he, instead of being a drain whenever you were around him, be, he became a blessing. I remember he would come to church in t-shirt jeans and ratted tennis shoes and one day he shows up in a full suit and uh and a tie and and a white shirt and then ratted tennis shoes and i said john you sure do look sharp today and he says oh he says i wanted i want to show people what god has done on the inside he says you've seen it Tim. you've seen how god's changed my life how he's used the word of god in my life i said yes john i've seen it he says I want other people to see it. So he says, I bought this suit. I said, John, where did you get it? He kind of puts his head down and sheepishly says, well, I bought it at Goodwill. I said, how much did you pay for it? He says, $7. I said, oh, John, you got a great deal on that suit. Someone else in the church bought him some brand new dress shoes. And he started coming to the church. And I remember one time at the missions conference, uh, he's sitting in the second row. I'm in the second row. Uh, He's several seats away from me. And I see he's got his Bible open. He's got his notepad. He's listening to the preacher preach. And, and one time, the preacher just mentioned a reference. Didn't say the verse, just mentioned a reference. John was right there, writes that reference down, still looks up at the preacher, flips through his Bible, goes and makes another reference on his notepad, and he's right back listening to the preacher. And here I'm in evangelism, I've been in Bible college, I've graduated, I went to Christian school, and I thought to myself, I remember when I was like that. I remember when I was eager and desirous to, to be in the Word of God. I remember when I had that hard attitude of, just give me a reference, I'll look it up. I remember that. And then God then convicted my heart and said, Tim, you need to get back to that, to where you love the Word of God. You see... Your attitude, the way you treat the Bible is how you treat the Lord. You show me how much you love the Word of God, I'll show you how much you love Jesus Christ. Oh, they were astonished. When's the last time you were astonished with God's Word? When's the last time it burned in your heart? Here they, they see that it is the Lord Jesus Christ, and they said, Whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not he is not is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And his brethren James and Joseph, Simon, and Judas. They knew his family. They were amazed at some of these works that he was doing. They were amazed at his word. The text tonight is verse 58. Sometimes as I read through the scriptures, I don't need to look up the meaning of the words or expound or look up the commentaries or other things like that before conviction settles in. This is one of these verses that I just read it, and my heart just grows in in conviction. And he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. This verse changed my life last year. I ask God every year to give me a theme verse. Last year, this verse, I spent the first two weeks of the year studying every single word, pouring in upon this verse. You look here at this verse 58, it says, And he, these two letters formed in this sentence represents the God of eternity, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one by whom all things are held together, they consist The God of all ages, the King of all kings, and the Lord of all lords, the one who every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. This is Christ. This is the God uh, who is omniscient, all-knowing. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. And he's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. This is the one who said, all power is given to me in heaven and in earth. The great I am. The one who is said in Revelation 19, 11, whose very name is faithful and true. Here is the Lamb of God that's going to take away the sins of the world. Here's the one that's going to die upon the cross, shedding his blood for your sins and for mine. Paying the penalty, the price for our sin. Here is the one that's going to show more power than any other that, have, that has ever gone before or after, and any other God, and that power is resurrection power. This one, this one who's named there, He, Jesus Christ, who's omnipotent, all powerful, did not many mighty works. He did some, but he didn't do many. He wanted to do more, but he didn't do more. Why? Because of their sin of unbelief. How do you define the sin of unbelief? Well, a belief is what you accept to be true. And we can believe the wrong things. That's why we need the Word of God, because we can believe lies. God always speaks the truth. The world, the flesh, the devil, they lie to us. God always gives us the truth. A belief is what you accept to be true, but the sin of unbelief is rejecting what God says is true. Unbelief is that sin where you don't see that, that God is more than enough for you. God withheld his power because of the sin of unbelief. many people have fondly imagined that they could get along quite nicely without God. They think that they don't need God. And in fact, they think that they're uh, not expendable, that God is optional, but he's not optional, he's essential. And here they had this sin of unbelief. I believe that there's a lot of atheism in our land. There's a lot of atheism in California atheism no god and if you will there's a lot of atheism in us christians practical atheism where we live as if god doesn't exist we make decisions without going to him we live our life without thinking about him and as i started studying this sin of unbelief I've never seen the sin of unbelief as wicked as I see it now. You see the sin of unbelief defies his character. Jeremiah 32 verse 17 says all Lord God behold thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm and there is nothing too hard for thee. Spurgeon wrote about the sin of unbelief he said unbelief has more phases than the moon, more colors than a chameleon. A fearful form of unbelief is that doubt that which keeps men from coming to Christ, which leads a sinner to distrust the ability of Christ to save him. But the most hideous of all is the traitor. In its full colors, blaspheming God, madly denying his existence, infidelity, deism, atheism, are all the ripe fruits of this pernicious tree. They are the most terrific eruptions the volcano of unbelief. Unbelief has become full stature when putting off the mask and laying aside the disguise, it profanely stalks the earth, uttering the rebellion's cry, no God. That's the sin of unbelief. Striving in vain to shake the throne of the deity of Christ by lifting up its arm against Jehovah, and an arrogance would snatch from his hand the balance and the rod, rejudge his justice, and be the God of God. That's the sin of unbelief. You say, God, I'm, I'm not going to do what you have told me to do. I know better than you. God, I know I have more wisdom than you do. I, I can't trust you, God, but I can trust myself. It's a direct blow to his character. Spurgeon went on to say, is it not a sin for a creature to doubt the word of its maker? Is it not a crime and an insult to the divinity for me and Adam a particle of dust to dare to deny his words? Is it not the very summit of arrogance and the extremity of pride for a son of Adam to say, even in his heart, God, I doubt your grace. God, I doubt your love. God, I doubt your power. He said, Oh, sirs, Believe me, if you could roll all the sins into one mass, if you could take murder, blasphemy, lust, adultery, fornication, and everything that is vile, and unite them into one vast globe of black corruption, that would not even equal the sin of unbelief. Oh, it's a direct blow against his character. But then it dishonors his glory. It robs him of his glory. You see, Christ wanted to do many mighty works there. Why would He do the many mighty works to glorify the Father? You see, your life and my life is about the glory of God. Ephesians chapter three, and verse nineteen or verse twenty says, "Now unto him that is that is able to to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, our God is the God of the impossible." He goes beyond what we can even ask, what we can even think. But why would he do these things? Verse 21, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Everything in that verse revolves around the Greek word doxa, glory. It's all about God's glory. When God burdened my heart about this matter of the citywide tent meeting in Sacramento, God was working in my heart about this matter of his glory. One pastor told me, and I I have so much respect for this pastor, he says, Tim, I think we need it in West Sacramento because the purpose of this is to start a church, and we don't have any churches there in West Sacramento. And I didn't want to rebuke him. God was already working in my heart, but the purpose of this meeting is not to start a church. Now, God may want to do that. That may be a fruit of it, but the goal of the meeting is the glory of God. He called me up two weeks later, and he says, Tim, I'm wrong. He says, God, show me. It's not about starting a church. It's all about him. It's about his glory. I was listening to an evangelist tell the story of George Mueller. George Mueller was greatly used of God to help uh, uh, thousands of orphans. He didn't ask anybody for anything. He just went to God for his needs, and God did incredible things through his life. If you ever get a chance to read his biography, it's just tremendous, be an encouragement to you. I was listening to this evangelist tell about George Mueller, and he said George Mueller didn't start the orphanages because he was so burdened for the children. He started the orphanages because he went to God, and he says, God, there is a spirit of atheism that is prevailing in our time, and I'm asking you to do something through me to dispel the atheism. Wow. And oh, how God exalted himself through that. And continues to do so. I said that's the purpose of the tent meeting. What it's God's glory, and I believe so many times we're we're seeking for the wrong things. We think about revival. Well, what's what's the goal of revival? A lot of people would think, well, the goal of revival is so that we can have uh, increased attendance at church, so we can have uh, uh, more uh, children riding on the buses, so that uh, you know we can have all these other things, but. No, that's the fruit of revival. The goal of revival is God Himself. Psalm 85 6, wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? The goal of revival is to get to God. And when God sends revival, it's not just to get you back to where you were at in a previous time in your Christian life. No, He wants to take you even further and closer to Him. All the intimacy, the, the oneness that he wants to have with you and with me. As I said in the beginning, I believe many times God's tried to send revival to America. He's tried to send revival to your heart and to mine, but we have quenched it. We've quenched it by our sin of unbelief. Unbelief dishonors God. Every other crime touches God's territory, but unbelief aims a blow at his divinity. It denies his goodness, blasphemes his attributes, maligns his character. Therefore, God, of all things, hates first and chiefly unbelief, wherever it is. You see, faith fosters every virtue. Unbelief murders everyone. Thousands of prayers have been strangled in their infancy because of the sin of unbelief. Many of praise would have swelled the chorus of the sky, but it was choked out by the sin of unbelief. Many a man would have been a missionary, would have stood and preached his master's gospel boldly, but he had the sin of unbelief. Unbelief robs God of his glory. His unique excellence is tarnished in our view. He becomes in our mind no better than the creatures that he made, weak, untrustworthy, unloving, unkind, and unwise. To reject the truth of God is to believe the lie. This sin of unbelief is the root of all sin. You can boil all of sin down to two different categories, pride and unbelief. Hebrews chapter 12 says, wherefore let us lay aside every weight and these sin which just so easily beset us. In context, Hebrews 11, the great faith chapter, these sin is the sin of unbelief. Now I believe that every one of us have something that we struggle with, that we uh, have a, a tendency uh, uh, to fall to. One of mine is fear. Uh, I've... Had so much fear throughout my life. I maybe it's part of my t- my name Tim, timid. Uh, I've been shy and quiet and all of that. And God's done a great work in my heart when the matter of fear. Someone says, "Do you get nervous when you get up to preach?" And I said, "Not anymore. It's kind of mind over matter. I don't mind because you don't matter. Uh, no, no. As long as I have God, as you know, I'm preached to the audience of one." That uh, doesn't matter. I remember reading a book one time when people are big and God is small. So often we have the fear of man. People are big and God is small. No, God is big. People are small. The root of all sin, the sin of unbelief. There is no sin as great as the sin of unbelief, especially when it comes to Christ and damnation. He says in John chapter 3 and verse 18, he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. That is a sin God's not going to forgive. You don't get that right. He that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. One of the greatest blows you can say to God is I don't trust you. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not in thy own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. That's Christianity boiled all the way down. It's simple Christianity. Trust and obey. Every situation that you and I face, trust and obey. But we sin the sin of unbelief when we don't trust God. And when we don't trust God, we disobey him. So often we have the sin of unbelief in the matter of how bad our sin really is. We don't think that it's all that bad. I believe that many times uh, the reason why we have a problem with sin is because we love it too much. There needs to be a holy hatred towards sin. We need to call our sin as God calls it. Treat our sin as God treats it. Hate it like God hates it believe the things that God has said about sin in our lives nothing has done more damage has hurt you more has cost you more than sin there is nothing worse than sin you know what the sin of worry is emotional atheism it's pretending like God does not exist now many of you have gone through circumstances far more difficult than I've ever gone through. But I'm here to tell you that God's bigger than your circumstance. And I don't know how bad or how big your circumstance might be, but God is bigger than it all. Worry is emotional atheism. Acting like like God does not exist. We often think that our circumstances are bigger than God. Our problems are bigger than God. Our city is bigger than God. Our state is bigger than God. Our country is bigger than God. It's almost like we're saying to God, God, you lied when you said in Isaiah chapter 40 that the nations were but a drop in a bucket compared to you because God, California is so much bigger than you. San Leandro is so much bigger than you, God. You can't revive it. How many times I've been in some churches where a pastor has said to me, uh, I, God can't revive this town, God can't revive this church. I remember preaching a couple of years ago in a church, a small church in a small town, and I was telling a story of how God did a reviving work in a small town in Kansas and, and just, just exalted his name in that town. And the pastor got up and he's said, now, how many of you, when Brother Schmidt was telling that story, you thought, well, God can't do that here, and about half the congregation raised their hand. The pastor later on confessed to me, he says, Tim, I had my hand raised because I was thinking the same thing. You know what that is? That's a sin of unbelief. Now, God was working in my heart about this matter of the sin of unbelief. I'm an evangelist. I've known this call at Evangelism since I was 15 years old. I live in California. How many evangelists do you know of in California? You know John Geth, uh, and then there's another one, Palmer Sean, and then myself. My heart's desire is out west. I love California. I want to see God do a great work here, and, and I, again, I believe God is on the move. But I'm trying to figure out the finances of the evangelists. My wife has worked a job for the last 10 years for 7up, and so it was a great help to us. It was a, a life support as we travel in evangelism. But, but as I've we've continued to grow, I've been more gone without her, and I need her. Uh, we're a great team together, and and uh, the Lord was working on my heart that I need to break off the job, need to step out on faith. I said, God, it seems impossible. California is so big, it's so expensive, and and all of these things. All the evangelists are back east, and I was. Pouring on the sin of unbelief. I was praying with an evangelist friend of mine, and God changed my life during this prayer time. And he he uh, was asking me uh, some kind of personal question. I said, "The greatest thing that I'm struggling with right now is the sin of unbelief." And he we we began to pray, and he started praying with expectancy, like God was actually going to provide for us, <laughs> like God was going to open the doors. <laughs> Like this was actually going to happen. And that whole thing just changed my life uh, it was we prayed there. And this matter of the sin of unbelief brings conviction to my heart. But I remember when I was sitting in North Carolina in the room where I was staying, and I parked on the word there. Here's the town of Nazareth, Christ's hometown. He wants to exalt the Father, but he can't. He passes on because they have the sin of unbelief, and he goes to another group of people where he can glorify the Father and do the many mighty works. He passed on that town. And I remember sitting there uh, in that upstairs bedroom and uh, looking at that word there, and the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and said, Tim, I could pass on you. I don't have to use you. I want to use you. But you stay in your sin of unbelief, I'm going to pass on you. I said, God, I don't want you to pass on me. I want to be used of you. I don't want to, to, the Lord to pass on me. God, I confess my sin of unbelief. You're bigger than my circumstances. You're bigger than all the, the things that I'm pouring and all these impossibilities. So last year we broke off Megan's job. And God has provided all the way. He's opening up doors. It's incredible. Can God be trusted? Oh, yes. He can be trusted. I wonder how many times I've limited God, what he wanted to do because of my sin of unbelief. I was in a church last year, and first time I had preached in this church, and it was about a three or four-hour drive to where we were staying, and, and we... Uh, we're there, we had a busy weekend, and, and I was just kind of tired. It was Sunday night, we get to the church, and uh, Meg and I are praying in the car. And, and uh, my attitude was, I just want to get back home. <laughs> I just want to get back to, to bed, I'm, I'm tired, and, and I just want to get this service over with. And as I'm praying, God begins to convict my heart. Tim, this is my church. These are my people. What if I want to do more tonight than what you're expecting? then what's your thinking? Tim, right now, you are being lazy, you are being selfish, you are being half-hearted, and as Megan and I, as I was praying, I went from praying with my wife to confessing sin. I said, God, I confess to you my sin of laziness, my sin of apathy, my sin of half-heartedness. God, this is your church. I've got a message, but whatever you want to do with it. And I went into the pulpit that night, and I don't even remember all that I said, but God just guided the whole thing. He worked in a wonderful way that night. The next morning I was in prayer and having a deep time with the Lord, and I said, Lord, thank you so much for what you did in that church last night. Thank you for working in our hearts and and, uh, meeting with us and the people. And then the Lord revealed to me, Tim, the problem last night wasn't the church. The problem last night would have been you. How many times I wonder that I have quenched God's spirit because of my sin of unbelief. I don't want to hurt churches as we go about in evangelism. I want to be a help. But all the sin of unbelief, how much damage it's done. You see, the strength of our prayer life with the lack thereof reveals our sin of unbelief. We must labor to find out what is true according to God and resolutely reject any deviation from it, and cling to those things that are true about God no matter what is happening around us. He's still God. He's the same God that you read about in the Old Testament as in the New Testament as he is today. Someday, Gavin Newsom will bow the knee to Christ. I pray that it will be before the great white throne of judgment. What a wonderful thing it would be if he had a Josiah moment where he finds a Bible and he starts reading and realizes he needs Christ to save him. Gets on the news and says, I've been reading this precious book and I've come to a saving knowledge of Christ. I've been wrong. What a wonderful thing that would be. But even all those that mock God and mock his name, he, someday they're going to bow to him. This life is so temporal, it's so fleeting. Eternity is so long. God is upon the throne. And oh, we must have such a high view of him. Isaiah 55 verse 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We think about this matter of the sin of unbelief. And How that we really, in essence, need to walk by faith, don't we? The Christian life, how do we start it? By faith. How do we continue it? By faith. Now, how much faith do you and I need to have? Some might say, well, I need great faith. And yet God tells us, if you had the, the size of the grain of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. Sometimes, oh, we need great faith. No, we just need a little faith. We just need that little bit of faith. Uh, Hebrews eleven six. But without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You see, when we walk by faith, it honors God. God honors faith, and faith honors God. You want to honor God? You want to please him? Then walk by faith. Stop with the sins of unbelief. One of the highlights last year is Megan and I travel, We love meeting people and seeing God working at different places. We had this church for the first time and uh, I was filling in for the pastor. I didn't know the pastor very well, but uh, had met him and knew him, knew his name and things. And this man comes up to me and he introduced himself as the pastor. And I said, "No, you're not. You're not the pastor." And, uh, and he says, "No, I'm not." He says, "My name's Michael Quinton." He says, "My wife and I are gonna take you out to eat after the service tonight." And I said, "Okay." And he says, uh, "How about we go to Sonic? That way you can stay in your car and we'll stay in ours." And I'm like, "What? <laughs> you know, where did this guy come from? He's kind of the, the jokester in the church and and uh, likes to kid around a lot." And so Sunday morning I preach and then Sunday night again and. And uh, we get into the car. We don't go to Sonic, go to a Japanese restaurant. And, and he says, uh, when you preach this morning, I, I told my wife, that's the guy. He's the guy. He's the one right there. That's who I've been praying for. And I'm like, okay, what are you, know, who are you, what are you praying about? And uh, he says, but then when you, you got up Sunday night, you started talking about your call to be an evangelist. And I thought, nope, that's not the guy. Uh, and uh, he says... Uh, he says, I've been praying that God will send someone to start a church at Mesquite, in Mesquite, Nevada. And I'm like, okay. Uh, Mesquite, Nevada. And I'm like, I've heard of that. Uh, Mesquite, Nevada is where the shooter from Las Vegas was from. So that was in the news. It's on the border of Nevada and Utah. And he uh, is retired fire captain, and he goes on vacation there in Utah, so we passed the town of Mesquite. and." just very burdened for that town that someone would go and start a church there. He began to tell me his life story and got saved in his late 20s, got on fire for God, very active in church. He says, and then I got what people call burned. And he says, and I quit, and I gave up. He says, I dropped out of church altogether. He says, I was out of church for 20 years. He says, I found this church, and uh, six years ago, he says, it's so wonderful to have a pastor again. He teaches one of the adult classes and popular teacher. Uh, People really love him. And he says, I I retired two years ago and I was sitting in my rocking chair. He's uh, 71 years old. And he says, "I, I just was sitting there doing a crossword puzzle. And I thought, you know what, God, you want more out of my life than this. He says, so I started volunteering my time at the church. He said, I'm part of Pastor's 100 Club. I said, what's that? He says, that's where you knock on 100 doors a week. I'm like, wow. He says, yeah, I go around and and do the maintenance in the church. And and so he's telling me these different things, and and, uh, and his heart for God, and I thought to myself as we're driving there to the restaurant, God, I know you don't want me, but you might want him. And about that time, he says, I've been praying for several years that God would send someone to Mesquite, Nevada. He says, about uh, eight months ago, I woke up at 2 a.m., wide awake, And I finally said, okay, God, I'll go. I'll do it. His wife's all behind him. He says, Brother Schmidt, we're leaving in two weeks to go to Mesquite, Nevada to plant a church. He's never gone to Bible college. He's never, you know, gone through all of that. But he's got a big God. And he's taking a step of faith and he wants to see God do the many mighty works. He said that he had sold his house, and, and uh, he sold his house to a, a Korean couple who was visiting their church at the time, and they wanted to start uh, a church. He says, they bought our house, and they're going to start the church in our house, and he's just crying. He says, God's going to use our house. Here's a man that when you retire, everything should be settled. Now everything's uprooted. uprooted. And he's going to this place of Mesquite, Nevada. No family. His son lives in Florida. Another one in San Diego. And yet God's called them. They're there now. Mesquite Baptist Church had their first service in January. They uh, The last couple of weeks, they've consistently been running 15 people. God's being exalted. God's being honored. You know what? God has done some great things at Heritage Baptist. He's done great things for you for, through you folks, but God's not done. He wants to exalt himself more in this place, through your lives, at your workplace, in this city. He's a big God. He wants to do the many mighty works. But let's not hinder him by our sin of unbelief. Let's look to the Lord in prayer.